as you can see on your uh, outline here, last week we covered probably the most famous or infamous part of the book of James, which is, you know, where he has that, that phrase clearly right there that you see no one is justified by faith alone, but, uh, but also works. So we kind of hit that. And, um, you know, what we determined and what is understood, particularly with our, our um, theological history, is that, you know, there's no contradictions in Scripture. It's, James is giving us um, faith, faith with meat on it. He's showing us what faith um, worked out looks like. And faith, genuine faith worked out is going to have works. Um, and that is no problem for people like us who believe that it's all grace from the beginning to the end as far as salvation and justification. But that, 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 um, that, that gift that we receive from the Lord uh, is not dormant. It, it works. Um, so it, it, it's, it wasn't that, it's not that hard of a thing to synthesize um, if you have a full understanding. But any other questions like that, we could talk about it after class. But today we're getting in chapter three, and this chapter is a little nippy, especially, you know, when I think about the sins of my youth and my tongue and how I treated authority and people in the church at times as, as a young Christian even. Uh, this 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 chapter is a little biting, especially if you've ever had issues with your, you know, using words, you talking to people like you shouldn't, and et cetera, anger, bitterness, all that. But um, let's uh, let me pray one more time just for myself as we get into it, and then I'll read the first part of the chapter, and we'll um, get into it. Uh, Father, we do thank you for another opportunity. To study your word, and we pray that you would use us to uh, sharpen, reprove us, uh, give us wisdom in how to live for you, and uh, walk in a world that is um, extremely hostile to truth, that is extremely deceptive, and um, we pray that you would help us to walk in the spirit. Um, lead us, convict us where we need to, give us the courage and boldness to confess and repent where we need to. And I just pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us through this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so we'll read this first section here. Um, and I titled this Taming the Tongue and Wisdom from Above. Uh, this is pretty much what James is covering in this chapter. Um, so the first part he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we, uh, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever, they, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So he's tying in a lot of what he's already talked about. Um, he, when, when we see in this section, he starts off talking about not many of you should become teachers. And this is a clear... Uh, this is a clear 
warning in scripture um, that when he's talking about teachers, they're going to be judged. People who teach or take it upon themselves to teach, uh, particularly in the church, um, you're taking upon yourself a great responsibility. And when he means by the judgment is going to be greater, it's going to be a greater strictness because um, the teacher has the ability, uh, as we're going to see with their tongue, to be very destructive. At the same time, also, the, the tongue can be a great blessing. So that's what James is going to get into. So the, the principle here is not just in the church, though. James is kind of talking about teachers in general. Because if you have a KJV, they translate that word teacher, masters. And it's kind of a Greek understanding of people who take it upon themselves to judge others. That's essentially what um, the teacher or the, ma the master, as it was understood, uh, would be. So Calvin takes it. Calvin, when he talks about this passage, he expresses that the universal translation that's understood or interpretation is that it's teachers. Teachers because the word and the Greek and everything is common, but teacher can also be master. So he says it's a teacher because with the great, with the, the teacher has the ability with a trusted student um, to do great things and lead them in deep truths or the ability to lead them astray. And so it's, it's an exhortation to be careful with our words. When we teach, we don't use careless words. You know, it's just being careful. And that's part of life also, is like being careful with your words. Even if you're not a teacher, your words um, matter. But the masters, which is what is translated in the KJV, Calvin goes into, this is understood as basically people in the world who make themselves the masters of moral judgments. And this ties into what James has been going into. It's a person who, who feels the responsibility to judge others. And this is what, um, this is what um, James is about to go into. If you, if you assume that role, if you make yourself out to be a master, just know that, that, that you are going to be judged with a greater strictness. And this, um, this coincides with, um, you know, Matthew 7, 2, where Jesus says, judge not, you know, and what he's saying is, he, he qualifies that, for the judgment, the measure, um, let's see, just so I get it. I wrote the verse number down, but didn't copy and paste the verse. So he says, it's just the judging aspect of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, we know it's not talking about absolute judgment. We, we have to make judgments in life, particularly as church leaders. But what he's saying is, if you are looking at the skin on everyone else's nose, really severely, and you look at what you do and your stumbles and struggles as we're going to see lightly, that is the measure that God is going to use when he judges you. 
because it shows a it shows an arrogance and a pride that is not, should never be present with a Christian who has been transformed, saved, and um, renewed by the Lord when something we don't deserve. So that's what he's getting at. <clears throat> he's saying, um, you know, the, the, the measure that you use is going to be measured. <coughs> and so, um, so that's pretty much what he's getting at. And the master, you know, teacher, master, it's just you're making judgments. As a teacher, when you're in a teacher role, you're making judgments of Especially if you're if you're looking at scripture, you're making judgments of what you're going to highlight. You're making judgments of how you're going to deliver. You're making judgments of what aspect of the truth or the point in scripture you're going to emphasize. All these things have ramifications because some people take a passage and see something uh, more vital than another. So judgments, masters, you're always teachers, masters, you're making judgments. And James's exhortation here is that. It shouldn't be something that people should headlong go into. He said, not many of you should be teachers. So that's, it's, it's kind of a simple thing. It's not that, it's, if, if, if you're gonna aspire to that, know that it comes with a greater judgment. So that's how he starts off, and that's an important, because it's gonna tie into the rest of this section here, because now he's going into the tongue. He's gonna start talking about the tongue. And he starts off in verse two, for we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in what he says he is a perfect man able to also bridle his whole body so we all stumble in many ways james is using the same root word that we have in um chapter 2 verse 10 for he says whoever keeps the whole law but fails but stumbles in one point has become guilty of all of it so what james is saying here is that it's, he's not saying, oh, we're all sinners, you know, just let love be love. He's exhorting people, he's exhorting particularly, um, you know, believers and teachers in the church that um, it's a call to meekness and humility. It's a call to meekness and humility when dealing with others and um, it's just a general disposition in life because James is saying uh, we all stumble and he's about to start tightening the he's about to start tightening the crank down if we all stumble um, um, if, if we all stumble and you think yourself as one who doesn't stumble I'm going to show you you might not be correct because he's going to say if anyone can bridle his tongue, he bridles his whole body, and therefore he's a perfect man. So what James is saying is, is that you can, he's getting, he's going to get at a lot of hypocrisy, or a lot of what we've been seeing is, James is making distinction between dead faith, which is a faith that's just all talk, between faith that's enlivened by the Spirit. And he's saying, um, if you fancy yourself a teacher, if you fancy yourself a master, if you fancy yourself as someone who is righteous and your tongue is not bridled, as he says in verse 126, if you consider yourself righteous, 
if you anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religious is work, religion is worthless. So James is getting at here <clears throat> is that the tongue causes a lot of us to trip up. And so um, he goes on to talk about if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, and he talks about the rudders of ships. Um, the little rudder on the back of the boat that kind of steers the ship when the sails and the strong wind or the waves are pushing it. The bridle is a very small piece. The rudder is a very small piece, but it basically dictates the whole course of the beast, the horse, or the ship. And same thing that you see in verse 5, he's saying, so also the tongue is a small member, but that little member <clears throat> boasts very great power in your life. <clears throat> and what that means is not that, uh, I don't take it as boast in a sense that it's arrogant. It's like if you're trying to, somebody's trying to sell you a car, it says this thing boasts a 450 horsepower V8 engine. You know, it boasts the, the tongue, but has, possesses great power and great ability um, to cause, as we're going to see, great destruction or great blessing. So that's what he's getting at. And it's all, it, it's, for the time, you know, we don't have time to go through every place, but this is so working together with what James has already been um, getting at in his, uh, in his explaining of what a person with genuine, alive faith, walking out their faith, looks like. So, um, so yeah, this is, we're going to go into, uh, just, so the, the tongue, what it does, it reveals our stumbling. Um, so when he says we all stumble in many ways, um, it's, you know, it's a call for meekness, humility. And if, if you don't understand that, Examine your life. What are the words and things that you've said in the past? Examine that. If, think about the times you've, you know you may have spoke uh, sinfully or irrationally, or even times in your life when you were living in sin. How did you speak to the other people in your life? How did you talk to your family? How did you talk to coworkers? How did you talk to them? And a lot of us, if we're looking back, I mean, I don't, there's going to be times in our life where our tongue caused great destruction, if you're honest with yourself. And um, so what James is saying is, is um, your tongue reveals your stumbling. Even if you, even if you, um, you know, even if you can do all the externals, your words are going to reveal uh, any sin that may still be um, dwelling in your heart. So he's just getting at, he's just getting at, your tongue's going to reveal, you may be able to fool yourself, which we're going to get into, but your tongue's ultimately going to reveal your stumbling. So let's go on. Um, and again, the tongue's small but mighty. That's what he's getting at when he says boast. It's... Uh, it's small, but it yields great power. So now he starts getting at the true power of the tongue. 
And this is verses 6 through 12. How great a forest is set ablaze. Excuse me. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. So that first part, the tongue can be untamable and wicked. The tongue can set entire forests on fire. And um, many of you may in your life have had times where you know your tongue has caused great destruction. The tongue, um, the viciousness of the tongue, um, many times can cause, particularly like in marriages, can cause more destruction than uh, alcohol or pornography. I think we talked about that. Those things are obviously destructive. But with the tongue, it's kind of a, I think it's like a, it's a pretty high statistic. When the first spouse mentions divorce, the chance of divorce increases exponentially. Just with a fit of rage, the person gets emotional and says, all right, I'm, you know, I'm considering divorce now. As soon as that comes out of the mouth, it's more destructive than if a husband or wife is falling into drunkenness or something. Because the drunkenness can, you know, is, is a heinous sin. It's a selfish sin. But the visceralness of the words can be way more destructive because they come from the heart. You know, and it's personal. Um, so the, the tongue has the ability to just destroy you. He says it's set on fire by hell. So a carnal person or a person walking in the flesh, um, their tongue can just be the, the hell walking on earth. That's what he's saying. The, hung, the tongue can be fueled by the fire of hell. Evil. Um, evil, evil. And he's going to get into, uh, it kind of ties into the wisdom section that we're going to go into. And so, um, so the hypocrisy in demonic um, Christian life is a life of hypocrisy. It's, it's hypocritical. It's like you proclaim the Christian life, but here you are using your tongue to curse other people made in the image of God. So the horizontal and the vertical aspect is coming into play again with James. You, you bless the Lord with your tongue, but at the same time, you're cursing those people, your neighbors, your family, your friends. And he says... This should not be, um, he, he goes on to say, this should not be so. Um, and the thing is, is that the tongue can be used to bless God and others. So there's this negative side, the, the, the wickedness of the tongue. But the tongue also has the power to do great things, like great things for the Lord, like blessing. And so 
if you're so what he's saying is is that this is the stunk that's tongue in its natural state when he says it's a fire world of unrighteousness um setting the course of life on the basically a track towards hell he's saying this is the this is the tongue when somebody is not walking in the spirit essentially so he's saying this doesn't have to be so is ultimately what he's going to get at if you can look at your life and you if you if your tongue is causing you to stumble it's either because there's a need for repentance or a need for saving faith that's what james is getting at and we all stumble we're all going to as james is going to say confess your sins to one another that you may be healed he's just it's again these sections are giving you wisdom on how to live if you're not able to control your tongue don't be false about it as we're going to see confess it repent and um if you can't do that or if there's a if there's deeper issues you may need to come to know the lord and so these are a lot of things i believe that that james is laying out because what he says is from the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers these things ought not to be so does a spring pour pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olive trees, or a grapevine produce fig trees? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Again, if your life, if your tongue is characterized by these wicked things, if that's what characterizes your speech, tearing down others, bitterness, slander, um, uh, you know, just a visceral, lewd, lewd conversation, if this is what's characterizing your speech. That salt water is not coming from a fresh pond. That wicked talk is not coming from a heart that has been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now, it may be, but again, it's, James is calling us to there's either a need for confession and repentance or there's a need for saving faith. And that's where he tightens down in this. And, and he's really going to tighten down when we get into this next section here. Um, this next section kind of ties into the tongue as James is going to get into um, our, more of our horizontal relationship with each other. Any questions about the tongue? There's so, I, I, there's so much I could go into here, but I just try not to. <laughs> yeah, cut it out. Yeah, that's that's the that's that. Actually, that right there is uh, basically like a form of circumcision, you know, it's like, catch your tongue out, you know. Um, but, I mean, Jesus did say if, you're, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. <laughs> yes, Steve? Well, yeah, you know, and as far as, uh, you know, judging a tree by the fruit, it's helpful because, um, you know, there's times when talk to people and you think that person's a Christian. Yeah. But then throughout the day you hear the person just what you're saying, you know, just what characterizes that person yeah. is the speech, this yeah profanity, the yeah. subject matter of some of the things that yeah. whoa, there's a disconnect here. Yeah. And, and the words are what usually give it away. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're going to have to look farther than just the behavior, like you said. 
a Christian can say those things, yeah. but then they confess and repent. Yeah. And if they don't repent, <clears throat> then you think, well, yeah. you know, they don't have the fruit. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, it, and it's hard. I mean, besetting sin, you know, what? that's, that's where we get... That's where it can get tough because some people have, I mean, besetting sins where, you know, that they're, they struggle with the tongue and anger and they can repent for seasons and comes back, you know. But like if you're saying if they're comfortable and they love that, yeah, that can be an issue. So, but the tongue, that's a, that's a good illustration because, um, you know, it's, it, uh, the tongue reveals who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a member of a church, if you go to a Bible study every week, you get someone around someone for a day, what is in their heart is going to come out. It can't help it. It's kind of like what Josh said with the sponge. It's like when you're knocking in real life, what's in there is going to squeeze out and it comes out through your words. Usually I'll tell you, um, so the tongue, it really is the last place to be tamed in a Christian's life Um, because you know we can get we're going to get into the selfish ambition that drives a lot of the way our tongue acts a lot of times but me Lindsay and I we knew a really uh, godly missionary family and they were in there they were they were past retiring they were some of the most godly people I knew and when Pierce was young uh Lindsay had to stay with them and because um, Pierce was getting some therapy where they lived. And uh, she remembers being up one morning. She could hear the, the, the mother downstairs. She was probably in her 70s, maybe 80s. And again, a real godly lady. And it really took Lindsay back because she was down on the phone basically gossiping and slandering with one of her family members. You know how it is. She's just talking. And she's like, you know, it, it kind of took Lindsay aback. And it's just what we, I mean, it's just the tongue is, is we just, if we're slipping, we're, our tongue's going to be used to, we're going to want to try to put people down either through talking about them, through gossiping, through, through whatever. And, and, and this lady, if it was brought to her attention, I'm sure she would have been like, you know, convicted of it, you know? So. Things that bring it back, one thing is I experienced as a child. That I recall based on that kind of situation. Uh, there was this one woman in the neighborhood uh, who had a lot at the house. And uh, we played games all the time. And I just remember spending a lot of time with the house with other kids, and it was just really great. And But even as a child, teenagers, maybe five, nine, I spent several years, you know, her house, and she was a gossiper. Talk, 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 gossip, gossip. And even as a child, I recognized what it was. As a teacher, I did recognize that. Yeah. And I do remember, though, that as a teenager, finding out that she'd gotten a stroke. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, the last 10 years of her life, she couldn't speak. Mm-hmm. And even as a young person, I thought, wow. I wondered, <laughs> is this God's judgment? And, and yeah. that kind of always gave me, it made me think about yeah. what I said. And it just, it, it, it sobered me to the yeah. point where it just was like, you know, 
Well, really that, need to be careful. That's really good, getting us into the next section. Yeah, it absolutely could be. It could be God's discipline on her life if she was a believer. Um, you know, the thing, it was enough for Lindsay to be taken aback by it, but it may not have, you know, it may have been a thing. She was just surprised she was talking about other person's life. And that's what slander or gossip. It's just you're you're taking you're you're sharing with somebody else, even if it's truth. That's the distinction between Christian slander and in court. In court, if it's true, you can tell everybody's business about something and not be sued. The Christian, even if you know somebody's sin is true, you don't have the right to basically murder that person's character by sharing that truth. You you don't bring that upon yourself as a Christian, uh, unless there's like you know there's there's instances where there needs to be um, lawful interaction or something like that. But Christians don't because that's that's in the Ten Commandments, you know, slander, because it's murder, and it's more impactful than actual murder. Murder is done, you did it, but when you slander, you're involving other people in your sin. And you're murdering this person's character. And a lot of times when you murder somebody's character, even if it's a true thing, that person, it's, it's hard to get back your reputation. So slander is serious. And the tongue is serious. But let's, uh, this short little section here kind of ties it all together. It's uh, called it demonic wisdom versus godly wisdom, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and meekness of wisdom. <clears throat> but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Every vile practice. So if you're filled with selfish ambition and jealousy, are you going to talk lovingly of all your neighbors usually? Some the ones that aid your ambition. But no, your tongue's going to be used as a force for evil. Every vile practice. So, he's, again, this is wisdom literature, and it goes back to what um, Steve was saying. When he heard that lady had a stroke, he put in his mind, is this the Lord bringing judgment or discipline? And that's what Proverbs says in verses 9-10. Proverbs 9.10. Somebody, can you get to it fast? You want to read it? Proverbs 9.10. And uh, Proverbs 9.10 is basically the crux of wisdom. Um, and it goes along with what? Proverbs 9.10. Yep. Okay. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Yes. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <coughs> A person, a person, selfish ambition is the opposite of the fear of the Lord. 
Selfish ambition is, is characterized by someone who thinks that they can, uh, the best course in life is looking out for them. And this happens in numerous ways, especially unbelievers. I mean, the world is, the world is swimming in, with envious people. Envy and jealousy are the water that non-believers live in. That, a lot of that times that drives their selfish ambition. So they see this person with a nice job, they see this person with the fancy car, the house, and their selfish ambition and jealousy drives them to want to get that. Um, but um, so that is just part of living in the world is that people are driven by selfish ambition. Now, the contrary, the Christian is not driven by that because our values are totally different from the world. We're not material values is not what we seek. We have our wisdom. Our way of life is defined from the foundation of the fear of the Lord. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Whatever he wants for me is that's what I must seek. And so, you know, things like. The Christian has really stumbled, and you see this in a lot of ways. I mean, Facebook. Um, Facebook is one of the greatest places that that is basically generates this jealousy in us. Like we get on there and we see these people doing this with their life, and they're having this, and they're going this places, and their family's doing this, and like it's just putting in your face this temptation to be jealous, right? And the Christian. Again, and this is something that James has been driving home, whether it's good or bad, your concern is not what your brothers and sisters are doing. Ultimately, your first concern in your life is not worrying about how this person's living, how that person's living. Your first concern in your life is how is your heart? How is the inner man? And that's what James uh, is going to get into here. Are you starting with the fear of the Lord? Do you understand that we all stumble in many ways? Do you understand that if you take upon yourself to be um, sharp and extreme in your judgment, that the Lord is going to be sharp and extreme in his judgment towards you? And if you don't understand that, it's because you haven't understood how many ways exactly you stumble. (laughs) So he didn't save a good person. He didn't save a person that had it all together. And he he didn't decide, I could use this person on my team. I mean, he's such a stand-up guy. He saves people who don't deserve to be saved, as Bill was praying in the open. So um, it's, it's a call, again, to humility. And that humility is rooted in the fear of the Lord, because all this jealousy and selfish ambition, it's worldly, it's demonic, it's unspiritual, it's what dead people do. And it, like I said, that's what drives every dead person's life. Now, Christians can struggle with it, and Christians do, and it's destroyed a bunch of churches, it's destroyed a bunch of families, because, again, we, um, we don't do what he says here. But if you have bitterness and jealous, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So if we have that in our heart, the thing to do is just not say, oh, it's there and keep moving. It's to confess and repent of it. 
Um, so selfish ambition has destroyed many churches, many denominations. Um, you've heard, I don't know, a common thing is the, uh, you have curtain committees in churches. So the curtains are old, we've got to change them. There's a group that wants red curtains, and there's a group that wants green curtains. And my goodness, when the meeting comes, man, you've never seen them. They, they've never gotten wild about helping the community seeking and saving the lost but man when it's time to change the curtains the selfish ambition comes out right it's it's wicked we shouldn't care like that's just an example in the church there's many examples within our family well we think our family or friends will treat them poorly because we think they're getting in the way of something that is important to us or we we want you can use example after example and so um, this is wisdom from below, and it shouldn't be part of the Christian's life. Then he contrasts that and says, but wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown by those who make peace. So this is characterizes, it ties in a lot with the fruit of the spirit, but it's really the act of walking in wisdom, the act of living by the spirit, as Paul talks about in Romans 8. It's pure because Jesus, the spirit is pure. It it's, it's not double-minded as James talks about in chapter one. It's pure. So the wisdom from above is pure. It's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason. Again, that's not the disposition of a person who when they're engaging with someone, the first thing they're trying to do is figure out what's wrong with the person. It's a person who approaches the person with um, the respect and grace of being made in the image of God and even being a brother or sister in Christ. And so... You know, it's open, open to reason is a big thing, but especially as D.B. get refined in our theology, and I can definitely be like this. If, if I figure, if I think I know where someone's coming from, I could care less about what they're about to say. I may act like I am, but open to reason is always being able to reason with someone, even if there's a disagreement. And the reasoning could just be listening to them, not even having to counter argument. And that's all part of being gentle. And we're not called to correct every error that we see. You would be tied up all day, and it's just not the wise thing to do. There's a place where God calls you to do that. We're open to reason. You're gentle. You seek peace in as far as possible with others. And then the other thing he says is full of mercy and good fruits. And those are the works that James has been talking about, particularly in chapter 2. Your works are usually towards other people and so that's part of godly wisdom and then again he's tying again with the impartial the impartial person just because uh me and bill are gangcocks fan or me and this example he might be a clemson guy but you know i have a guy in my church and we're gangcocks fans we team up together so i'm gonna overlook the way that he yells and treats his wife but this Clemson guy, man, I see him yelling at his wife. I'm going to take him aside and say something. That's not how Christians operate. We're not partial 
to things, whether they're rich, whether they're like-minded, or whatever. We have a standard in the living God, in his word, that we judge our own selves and others by. So it's not partial. And it's sincere. It's genuine. It's sincere is, again, it goes against that double-minded. Your wisdom, your life as a believer is sincere. Not perfect, because we all stumble, but it is sincere. Um, you're seeking to be... The, the, Greek, the Hebrew thing that's kind of equivalent is shalom. You know, you're trying to have shalom with the Lord, within yourself, and with others. And then the last part, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And you can hear like the Sermon on the Mount all through this. In Matthew 5, 9... Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So, you know, being Jesus' brother, he probably was around so much of this. But peacemaking is a characteristic of a Christian whenever possible. A Christian who is characterized by strife, division, disorder, chaos those aren't fruits of the spirit those are the opposite of the fruits of the spirit gentleness humility self-control patience these are all fruits of the spirit so james is basically just he's just lining up for us what it means to be a christian living in the spirit and the tongue is a the tongue is the last thing to get tamed usually <laughs> any questions or anything we're done now yeah, that's fine.